Recent times, here in Germany and in several other Western countries, the far right has gained prominence and seen its membership rise. The root cause for this distressing trend is that the indigenous citizens in these nations are becoming increasingly resentful and frustrated. They are feeling neglected and as though their rights are not being protected by their leaders and governments. Unquestionably, a major factor fueling their anxiety has been the influx of immigrants to many Western nations in recent years. This has certainly been the case here in Germany, which has taken far more refugees than any other European country in recent times. As a result, many local people are afraid that their societies are changing beyond comprehension, and they feel that their nation's, nation's resources are being disproportionately utilized in favor of immigrants. Whilst the term immigrant is used, the real issue for most people is Islam. And the fact that the vast majority of immigrants to Europe are Muslims fleeing from war-torn countries in the Middle East. Thus, when the far right and their supporters raise rallying calls against immigration, their actual target is Islam, and their objective is to stop Muslims from entering their nations. They view Islam as incompatible with Western values and, stri and strive to propagate their belief that Muslims are unable to successfully integrate into the Western into the West and are a threat to other citizens. Further, many non-Muslims believe Islam, is, Islam to be a religion of extremism and imagine that those Muslims who immigrate will be extremists or religious fanatics who will spread poison in society, incite division, and disturb the peace and well-being of their nation. Certainly, this sense of alarm has spread 
to some parts of this country, especially in Eastern Germany. Thus, there have been moves and campaigns to ban the building of mosques. We, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, have not been immune to such opposition, whereby some groups here in Germany have actively campaigned against us and endeavored to stop us building new mosques. They have campaigned against us, even though our motto is love for all, hatred for none. And despite the fact that for almost 130 years, our community has been at the very forefront of prom promoting peace, brotherhood, love, and compassion in all parts of the world. Our history testifies to the fact that wherever we have built mosques or become established, the fears of the local people have soon evaporated. Those who initially viewed us with suspicion have quickly become our loyal friends and sincere supporters. Throughout the world, our neighbors happily attest to the fact that Ahmadi Muslims are people who promote peace in society and who spread only a message of love, compassion, and human sympathy. Yet, due to the dire state of the Muslim world at large, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has also uh, had to suffer the consequences. Another charge raised by those opposed to widespread immigration is that uh, immigrants are prone to sexually abusing or harassing women. Sadly, a recent report suggest, suggested that this high proportion of rapes or attempted rapes in one Western country were committed by immigrants. God knows better if the figures are accurate, but when such reports are made public, it affects other nations as well. And the concern and fears of local people continue to rise. Another point that many parties and politicians have focused upon is the tax burden required to resettle immigrants. Aside from their day-to-day -day living expenses, infrastructure costs resulting from large-scale immigration are vast, and so the financial burden on the state is considerable, and it is ultimately taxpayers who fund this. People who have lived their lives and paid their taxes in a country are justified to ask whether it is fair that their contributions to the state are spent on resettling foreign immigrants as opposed to funding projects that are beneficial to ex existing citizens. I do not dispute that these are valid issues and real causes of concern. 
and if they are not dealt with wisely, tensions in society will continue to increase. Additionally, wherever there is large-scale migration, it inevitably leads to security issues. Indeed, it has been proven that hidden amongst the genuine refugees are immigrants who have the potential to cause great harm. For example, just a few days ago, a, few, a female refugee living in Germany, who in the past had been kidnapped and kept as a slave in Iraq, was interviewed. She told how she was shocked and horrified to see that her captor, a member of the terrorist group, was now also living freely in Germany, having come here under the pretense of persecution. This is something I have warned about in the past, that each case should be carefully analyzed to ensure that extremists or criminals posing as refugees are not allowed to enter. Anyway, these issues mean that the fear of mass immigration from Muslim countries is to some extent justified. Yet, on the other, hand, other side, it is necessary for a fair-minded, intelligent, and wise person to look at both sides of the story and not just base his or her impression of Muslims and Islam upon hearsay. Merely because someone brands Islam a religion of extremism or claims that all Muslims are terrorists does not make it true. Rather, it is vital to assess the facts rationally and objectively before reaching a conclusion. Hence, before reaching a def definitive conclusion about whether Islam's teachings are of an extremist nature, you should investigate and see what the truth is. Analyze whether the, the wicked acts of some so-called Muslims are motivated by the teachings of Islam. Consider whether Islam really does permit extremism or does it prescribe severe punishment for those who spread disorder and hatred? Does Islam permit Muslims to break the laws of the land in, uh, in the name of their faith? What expectations does Islam place upon Muslims in terms of their conduct in society? Does Islam encourage Muslims to burden the state or does it encourage them to work hard, to be loyal and to contribute positively to the society in which they live? If it is proven that Muslims who do wrong are motivated by their religion, it can be said that the concerns of the far right are justified. Yet, what if their actions have nothing to do with Islam? What if anti-Islamic groups are spreading hateful myths that are based only on fantasy rather than fact? In the short time available, 
I will mention a few points that I hope will help answer some of these questions and enable you to understand the true essence of Islamic teachings. Firstly, a basic Islamic principle is that where a Muslim aspires to live peacefully, he must also endeavor to provide peace and security to others. People often speak of the wars fought in the early Islamic and uh, Islam and suggest that they approve that Islam is a bloodthirsty religion that permits force and compulsion. Yet, in reality, the early Muslims endured 13 years of brutal and sustained persecution without retaliating in any way. Only after that long period did Allah the Almighty permit them to defend themselves, and this permission is mentioned in chapter 22, verse 40 and 41 of the Holy Quran, which have just been recited before my address in front of you. In these verses, Allah the Almighty said that those who had been persecuted and driven out of their homes were permitted to defend themselves from further cruelty and oppression. However, the Holy Quran further states that if the Muslims did not defend their religion, then churches, temples, synagogues, mosques, and all other places of worship would all be in grave danger. So permission was granted to protect the right, rights of all people to live their lives freely and according to their beliefs. In chapter 10, verse 100 of the Holy Quran, whilst addressing the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, Allah the Almighty states that if he desired, he could have enforced all, uh, enforced his will and compelled everyone to accept Islam. However, instead, Allah the Almighty preferred free will to prevail. Likewise, in chapter 10, verse 30 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states that Muslims should openly preach their message and proclaim Islam to be a truthful religion. Yet, at the same time, the Quran also states that every person is free to accept or reject it. The verse states, let him who will believe and let him who will disbelieve. In the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty also refers to those non-Muslims who admitted that Islam was a peaceful and benevolent religion, yet they refused to accept it because they feared that embarking upon a path of peace and compassion would harm their material interests. Chapter 28, verse 58 of the Holy Quran states, And they say, If we were to follow the guidance with thee, we should be snatched away from our land. This is the true picture of Islam. It requires every Muslim to live peacefully and to contribute to their society. Unquestionably, those Muslims who claim jihad means to attack non-Muslims or to forcefully convert them are manifestly wrong. Such beliefs and attitudes have nothing to do with the teachings of Islam. Another accusation leveled at Islam, which I mentioned earlier, relates to the treatment of women. Some non-Muslims fear that if Muslims migrate to the West, 
they will prey upon the local women and abuse them. Indeed, some immigrants have been guilty of such crimes, and their shameful conduct has perpetuated such fears and anxiety. Given this, let me make it categorically clear that any Muslim who violates the honor of a woman or abuses her in any way is acting entirely against Islam's teachings. Islam considers such behavior as evil and has mentioned exceptionally strong punishment for those guilty of such immoral and apprehensible crimes. Reprehensible uh, uh, crimes. For example, Islam decrees that if a Muslim is guilty of such a, a crime, he should be openly flogged in a public setting. Thus, if you truly wish to root out such behavior, then Muslims, men guilty of such abhorrent crimes should be punished according to Islamic law. Although I am sure Western governments would frown upon these ideas and human rights activists would certainly object. As I said earlier, another major concern for existing citizens is that hosting refugees is a huge financial undertaking by the state. In this regard, no immigrant should enter another nation with a sense of entitlement. Rather, they should ponder over what they can offer the local society. I have said many times before that immigrants should consider themselves indebted to the nations, uh, to the nation that has accepted them. They owe gratitude to both the governments and the public. And the way to repay this favor is that they should not waste time seeking only benefits and allowances from the state. Rather, they should seek to contribute to the society as soon as possible. They should work hard and strive to enter employment, even if they, the only job they can get is basic labor work. Where, uh, where this uh, will uh, enable them to maintain their personal honor and dignity, it will also be a means of relieving the burden on the state and removing the, frust uh, the frustration of the local people. Certainly, every Muslim should keep in mind that the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, said that the giving hand is far greater than the one that takes. On many occasions, people sought to help his companions, but they refused to accept and preferred to earn a living for themselves. As I said, even if refugees are forced to do menial or basic jobs, which they consider themselves overqualified for, it is better than remaining idle and expecting the state to cover all their needs. Otherwise, immigrants who fail to contribute to society will be will be a means of increasing restlessness amongst the wider population. Furthermore, if governments do provide some benefits or financial aid to immigrants, they should ensure 
that they do not neglect the needs of the local people. In some countries, immigrants receive better benefits than tax-paying citizens, and this leads to natural agitation amongst the public. Such, uh, such frustration do not dispute on their own because uh, do not dissipate on their own because where there is frustration, there is always a reaction. Therefore, every government should implement sensible and fair policies that keep in mind the rights and requirements of citizens and immigrants alike. Rather, local citizens should be given better treatment and benefits. A few days ago, it was reported that the German government was considering a new policy whereby asylum seekers would be required to do a year's community service upon settling in Germany. Some critics are already claiming that this is merely a form of cheap labor and will not help the integration process. However, in my view, any person who is serving his local community is integrating through that very service. Indeed, the term community service is positive because it instills a belief that it is the duty of each person to serve their society and to help the members of the community. Accordingly, the German government deserves praise rather than criticism for this policy. Nevertheless, the responsibilities of a host government are not limited to arranging community service. Rather, they should also guide the immigrants in a way that they are able to start contributing as quickly as possible to society. If the immigrants do not have the skills to enter the job market, they should be provided with some form of training or apprenticeships so that they can soon develop those skills. Any costs incurred in such training will be a valuable investment for the future of the nation. In terms of security, if there is any doubt or suspicion raised about the character or backgrounds of certain immigrants, the authorities should be vigilant and monitor them until they are satisfied that they do not pose a risk to society. Some may consider this an intrusive policy, yet protecting society from, uh, from danger and maintaining the peace and security of the nation are paramount objectives for any government. Certainly, if there are any immigrants who come with the intention of spreading mischief, or creating disorder, they are directly contravening Islam's teachings. Indeed, chapter 2, verse 192 of the Holy Quran states that whilst murder is a truly heinous crime, to spread disorder and to, provi uh, to provoke hatred is a crime of even greater magnitude. Of course, this does not mean that to kill someone is a small or insignificant crime. Rather, it signifies that the ramifications of fueling the flames of disorder in society are higher still.
ultimately provocation and incitement incitement can cause huge damage to a society and lead to conflicts and wars in which scores of innocent people are targeted or oppressed the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessing of allah be upon him also said that the true muslim is he whose tongue and hands uh, from whose tongue and hands all others are safe how then can it be said that islam is a religion that promotes violence or radicalism how can it be said that islam spreads disorder in society how can it be claimed that islam seeks to violate the honor of women how can it be said that islam permits its followers to usurp the property or wealth of others anyone who is guilty of such crimes whether they justify it in islam's name or not is far removed from its teachings and will stand accountable for their atrocities in every respect islam requires muslims to display the highest standards of integrity and virtue for example in chapter 2 verse 189 of the holy quran allah the almighty has admonished muslims that they must never acquire wealth or property through means of deception rather muslims are taught to be honest trustworthy and to uphold the truth in all respects similarly in chapter 83 verse 2 to 4 muslims are taught the importance of fair dealing in matters of business and trade allah the almighty states wo unto those who give short mayr those who when they take the mayr from other people take it full but when they give by my uh, but they give by mayr to others or way to them they give them less these verses state that those who are exploitative in business transactions seeking unjust benefit for themselves at the expense of others are those who are cursed and will ultimately be humiliated the truth is that islam has safeguarded society from all forms of cruelty and injustice and protects the life and property of every single person it is therefore a cause of deep regret and grief that people continue to make false allegations against the blessed character of the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessing of of allah be upon him when he was the one who brought about a unique spiritual and moral revolution uh, revolution in society indeed never in the, in the history of humanity have such examples of moral integrity been seen as were displayed by the early muslims if his companions quarreled it was not to take advantage of each other rather it was to ensure that the rights of other party were fulfilled for instance once a companion of the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessing of allah be upon him came to the market to sell his horse for 200 dinar when another companion of the holy prophet peace and blessing of allah be upon him came forward to buy the horse he told him to, that 200 dinar was far too low and that a fair price would be 500 dinars 
he said that he did not wish to take charity and wanted to make a lawful and fair purchase and so he would pay 500 dinars. Upon this, the Muslim seller said he also did not wish to take charity and wish to make a fair sale and so he only wanted 200 dinars. Hence, their argument was for the sake of protecting the rights of the other person in spite of personal cost to themselves. Imagine if all members of society were able to live by and uphold such values. How magnificent a society would that be? A society in which every citizen prioritized honestly, honesty and strove for the common goal, uh, good. In other words, it is an Islamic society. If anyone wishes to know what Islam represents, they should look at such noble examples rather than those who sow deviant and intolerance falsely in its name. Certainly today it is the need of the time that we all Muslim or non-Muslim pause and contemplate upon the consequences of our actions. With great pride we speak of how the world has developed into an interconnected global village and marvel at the speed of communication and travel. Yet, alongside such advancement, we should realize that our responsibilities to the world have also increased. In terms of the migration uh, crisis, wherever there are people subject uh, to cruelties and brutalities in their home countries, it is up to the international community to help them. The priority should be to try to reconcile the people of those nations and to end wars and to bring about sustainable peace. However, if that is not possible, it is our moral duty to open our hearts to those who are genuinely suffering. Society should not reject genuine refugees who are suffering through no fault of their own. Society should not cast aside, uh, cast aside innocent people who only want the opportunity to live in peace and who desire to be good citizens and follow the laws of the land in which they live. Instead, we should be there to give a helping hand to those who, whose lives have been broken, who have been tormented, and who are utterly helpless, vulnerable, and defenseless. Let us prove our humanity. Let us show our compassion. Let us be there to shoulder the burden of those who are in desperate need. On the other side, immigrants also have great responsibilities in their new countries. Countries, as I have said, they must seek to contribute to their new society and strive to integrate. They should not isolate themselves or cut themselves off from the local community, but should serve their adopted home and work towards its continued development and progress. 
Together, we must seek to find ways in which people of different backgrounds and heritages can live together harmoniously. As I said, the world is now like a global village, and so we are not living in those bygone eras where what happened in one country only affected the local community or, at the most, the neighboring nations. Rather, we now live in, in a time where a disturbance or conflict in any country has ramifications and consequences for the rest of the world. Thus, instead of fearing one another, we should strive to solve problems through mutual dialogue and with the spirit of tolerance and compassion. Our goal and object objective should be nothing less than to establish peace in every village, town, or city of every nation in the world. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community has always strived to fulfill this objective, and to this end, we propagate what we consider to be the key ingredient to peace, which is a firm belief that we are all the creation of God Almighty, and He created mankind so that they would recognize Him and fulfill the rights of one another. We are certain that if mankind comes to this realization, true and long-lasting peace can prevail. Sadly, we are witnessing quite the opposite. Rather than coming together and seeking peace through the existence of God Almighty, mankind is embroiled in striving for peace through material means alone. Day by day, mankind is moving further away from religion and spirituality, and the results are terrifying. It is my firm conviction that belief in God Almighty is the only means of salvation and the only way to bring about true peace, both at a national and international level. And so it is my deepest desire and ardent prayer that the world comes to recognize its creator and comes to follow his true teachings. Instead of pursuing personal or political objectives, I pray that today leaders fulfill the rights of all people, irrespective of caste, creed, and color. With all my heart, uh, all my heart I pray that the gulf that exists between mankind and God Almighty is eliminated and that we come to see with our own eyes true peace prevail throughout the world. I thank you all very much. Thank you very much. Seine Heiligkeit wird gleich das stille Gebet leiten. Wenn Sie mögen, können Sie auf Ihre Weise mitbeten. Now I will offer silent prayer. Those who want to join me, please join me. I mean, 